Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. So the Onyx Hunt app is an app built by hunters for hunters to be able to use a GPS on your phone anywhere with or without cell service. So with one of the one of the layers I want to talk about and is really important with that we talk about in this episode here is the NWTF Wild Turkey Records feature. So NWTF and Onyx partner together to add a layer that is a collaboration with the National Wild Turkey Federation to show st- statistics on over 23,000 NWTF member submissions since 1982. They have sub layers, records per county, overall bird score, five-year averages, weight, beard length, spur length, subspecies distribution, everything, which can be really helpful if you're trying to find a certain type of bird um, or you're looking for a certain caliber. You'll hear my brother Kurt talk about that a little bit in this episode. It's a really cool feature that uh, you can turn on within the Hunt app. So if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW. That'll save yourself 20% off of the app. University of Elk Hunting, Elk 101, and Corey Jacobson have come out with the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available. And this is when I say come out, this has been out for uh, going on five years now, but the course just continues to evolve as they're adding a 17th module to it now with with each of these modules having anywhere from three to four chapters within it. So there's a, it's a ton of information. This course isn't something that you know you can complete in uh, a few hours. This is something that takes a substantial amount of time and dedication, but the amount of knowledge that you come out with from it is just unbelievable. And one of the things that uh, you that I'm looking at right now within this course, you know, if I were to be planning an elk hunt this September, is the elk hunting gear section. You know, gear is one of those things that uh, you know some people argue are more important than others. But one thing that is true is you need gear of some sort. And what's great about this is it breaks down, you know, what is considered essential gear, what are some nice to haves, explaining the differences, and then Corey goes through what's in my pack. He breaks down his gear list for day hunting and then also for backpack hunting. A lot of really useful information there and through the other modules. You can find the University of Elk Hunting over at elk101.com. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST. That'll save you 20% off of that course. And finally, Tethered. The company Tethered has really changed the game when it comes to saddle hunting. Their, their line of saddles with now complete with the Mantis and the new Phantom Series saddle and Predator platform is just really made everything lightweight, simple to use, and comfortable. And I mean, when I started getting looking into saddles, it was kind of confusing knowing all the components and what you need. So what they've done is they've added some starter kits. So for example, say you, you decided you wanted the Phantom saddle with all the different comfort adjustments to it. Um, you click on the starter kit. Um, you click the saddle itself. It helps you choose a lineman's belt, explains what that lineman's belt is, helps you choose a tether, and then also a platform, which is optional. Um, You can either use something of your own or if you want to try out their Predator platform, it's all there and really just helps you make sure you're getting all the components to uh, the saddle which is really helpful. So if you want to learn more about saddle hunting and Tethered's products, head over to tetherednation.com and check that out. All right, so I want to go over uh, this week's Mountain Buck Monday uh, post that I released on Instagram here yesterday, Instagram and Facebook, and uh, to, to talk about the story here on the podcast is from a gentleman named Justin Enk, who has been listening to the the podcast for quite a while. He wrote in, 
imagine hiking over a mile into the, the PA Big Woods, following a buck track, and looking up and seeing him standing there under a pine tree. You wait for that perfect shot, and boom, nothing. Don't see where he went and have no idea where he hit him. I walked up to where he stood and didn't see anything until I looked underneath the laurel, and there he was. And the, the bonus was that the neighboring lease posted a trail camera picture of him a mile away from where I ended up shooting him. And so that story there uh, from Justin was such a beautiful Pennsylvania buck that he killed, uh, you know, in, in rifle season here in the snow. You can see the picture again over on the social media channels. That's really awesome to be able to, to use some woodsmanship and tracking abilities to be able to, to kill that buck. So congratulations, Justin, and definitely send over your mountain buck Monday stuff over to my email at bow at eastmeetswesthunt.com or send me a DM on social media and we'll get that stuff posted up. All right. And so lastly, I just wanted to say, uh, I don't know if anyone, if, if uh, you got to check out the, the new Mountain Buck Scouting Series that started over on YouTube, but uh, episode one is out. It released on Wednesday on learning how to use Onyx effectively. The part two of this series is coming out this Wednesday, so tomorrow at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And episode two is diving even further. So the first one was just you know giving you uh, you know how I'm using Onyx, learning about important layers and features and tools. Now this one is really diving into what I'm looking for, what I'm you know finding from my computer before I'm going into the field. We're talking about terrain, we're talking about vegetation and how all that plays into effect. This um this episode is a little bit longer and one I think is is going to be really beneficial for everyone. So check that out. If you would, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'll have a link in the the bio here, but if you if you search my name, Bo Martonic, you'll find my channel there and all the YouTube stuff. But if you would subscribe, leave a comment, and uh, and and just share it if you like it. That would be really helpful and helps everything with, with the podcast and be able to do some more of these videos. So again, this is the episode two of a five-part series is going to be released tomorrow. So check that out. And... Yeah, so this this podcast here, I am going to be talking to my brother, Kurt Martonic, and a friend of mine, a friend of ours, Chris Toomey, and who are both from the East Coast, both from Pennsylvania, moved out west, and hunted Miriams, which ended in an absolutely awesome story, as you'll hear here as these guys talk about it. So we recorded this just over this past weekend here. How the story was fresh in their minds, and I wanted to wanted to get it. So I'm glad that they they were able to you know talk about that there. But um, and in also I, I should mention that this quarter quarter two of 2020, all East meets West apparel sales, three percent of those sales are donated to the National Wild Turkey Federation. This is the first time that I've donated other than my annual membership to nwtf through east meets west so i'm really pumped about it i hand chose this organization as i i believe in you know what they're doing for conservation of uh, wild turkeys and across the united states so definitely um if you're interested in supporting the the podcast and a little bit to nwtf head over to eastmeetswesthunt.com slash shop and check out some of the apparel there I am still shipping orders um, with everything going on, but it's um, only shipping one day a week to try to limit my exposure going to the post office. So stay. Um, so you, it will ship out within a week, but just um, be patient with me, and uh, we'll get you that out. So check that out, and uh, thanks for listening. All right, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast. And I'm joined on the line tonight through FaceTime with Chris Toomey and my brother, Kurt Martonic, both coming from the mountains of Colorado. What's up, gentlemen? Oh, not much. Uh, enjoying a beautiful day out here in Colorado. Can't can't complain. There you go. Chris, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm doing great, Bo. How about you? 
So, uh, not so bad. Just uh, enjoying the weather. It got a little bit warmer here today. Had had some snow in Pennsylvania over the last last few days in middle of April. So that's kind of uh, kind of shitty. But it's it's getting better here. Getting outside, picking some leaks, and doing some fun social distancing activities. <laughs> yeah, we know all about the snow out here. Yeah, it looked like Kurt today that you um I saw on your Instagram story that you had uh you and the the wife and the dog were out in some snow a little bit. Yeah, we were up at did a little six mile hike up at eleven five. Um and we had probably some of the spots there was probably three, four feet deep snow. Wow. Um we just had to kind of stay on where it was a little bit packed down from people walking before, but Yeah. Yeah, pretty nice out there the other day. Yeah. Chris, you get out at all this weekend? Yeah, and that's the crazy thing about Colorado because not an hour away from where Kurt was, we we're hiking down into one of the fishing spots that we go to quite regularly and started hearing hoppers snapping. It was probably close to 60 degrees, uh, just totally beautiful signs of spring and summer coming. So, um, yeah, totally different than where he was, but that's a uh, 6,000-foot difference in elevation. Yeah, that is crazy. So uh, before we kind of get into this episode here, Chris, you've been on the podcast before. And if any of the listeners were uh, listening back at the very beginning in the first day-by-day elk hunt series, Chris was um, hunting with me for a few days in Colorado back in 2018. But Chris, do you want to give a little uh, brief introduction to yourself, what you're doing living out in the old state of Colorado these days? Yeah, um, I'm, I guess I'm the East meets West, man. Um, same with Kurt. Uh, born and raised in Pennsylvania and uh, kind of grew up like you guys, chasing white tails and turkeys out there in Appalachia. And um, My wife and I just needed a change of scenery about two years ago. We made the move out here. We were both blessed to get jobs and uh, living up here in the foothills, man. Nice. Nice. And, uh, it seems like, well, since we've hunted, you know, out there, Kurt's moved and I'll let him talk a little bit about that, but he's moved out there and, um, introduced you guys kind of to each other, which you and I met through mutual friend, Johnny Stewart. And then, um, and you guys have been fishing and hunting buddies kind of since then. That's right. Yeah. You uh, mentioned your brother was rolling out there and I kind of stepped outside of my comfort zone, something I normally wouldn't do, but I was like, well, it's got to be somewhat like Bo. So as it turns out, we became real good buds, and we've been we've been uh, doing a lot of fishing, uh, fishing and camping, and lately hunting. So yeah, Kurt and I are old buds now. <laughs> yeah, he was hoping for Bo, and he got some just like far better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here we that go. That's true. <laughs> hey, watch it, Chris. I tried to I tried to back Chris into a corner the other day as. Uh, the wives were sitting at camp after we killed the turkey and uh, I asked him who was better to hunt with and he uh, he resorted to um, saying our dad uh, <laughs> <laughs> played it safe there and <laughs> yeah. yeah old dad's the best uh, that's funny every time I post any picture or anything that has uh, dad in it Chris comments just with a with a emoji of the goat <laughs> <laughs> Oh, cracks me up yeah <laughs> but anyways so kurt uh been a brother of mine now for 26 years <laughs> so we want to give a little bit of introduction to what you're doing um a little background yourself you'd never agreed to be on a podcast before but you decided to to do it here recently so welcome <laughs> welcome on to the the show and yeah give a little little introduction to who you are and kind of what you're doing uh, yeah, well, I, I kind of, uh, finished up, I did just under seven years in the military and then, uh, decided I wanted to go to gunsmithing school, kind of had it narrowed down to two schools, one in Pittsburgh and one out here in uh, Lakewood, Colorado, and, uh, kind of really narrowed down to what had better hunting. And, uh, so I ended up here out in Colorado and definitely don't regret it. Yeah. I'm loving it. Yeah. You've been, yeah, been out there what for a whole year now? Yeah, it'll be actually it's about a year to the week right now. Okay. 
Nice. And, um, so what, what do you, what do you plan on doing a little bit, uh, gunsmithing after once you finish the school there or what's, uh, what's kind of your goal with that? Yeah. Plan is to eventually get a shop set up, hopefully within, within a six months or so of, uh, getting done out here. But I don't know, um, as far as where I'm going to go with that, it'll be part-time for a while, but would eventually like to stick with this, uh, kind of realm and I'm really enjoying building custom rifles right now. So I think that's kind of where I'll head in that direction. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Like, you know, growing up, Kurt was always the gun guy and I've always been the bow guy and neither of us know a whole lot about the other field. So, um, yeah, that's, I, whenever Kurt comes home or anything, he takes a look at my guns and he bitches at me about not cleaning them properly or, or really cleaning them at all. Um, and, uh, that's it. So I'm, whenever, uh, he gets moved back here, I'll be looking forward to having my personal gunsmith back. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you archery guys are very interesting the way you handle your guns. I mean, I know, uh, Mason, Mason Martonic, the one that who, who has uh, been on the podcast before he sent me pictures of him holding his gun by his pistol, by the bottom of the grip just covered in mud and said, Hey, what should I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I kind of did the same thing when I fell in that sinkhole. I sent you the picture. I was like, Hey, my, oh, yeah. uh, my pistol was just submerged under gas, well, water, mud, muck for a period of time. And it's been sitting in my truck for a few days, you know, what should I do? <laughs> I think, I honestly think that that picture you sent and the picture Mason sent came within the same week too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and your response was, uh, clean it. I was like, okay. Like, like, how? He's like, watch YouTube. I was like, all right. Thanks, brother. Really appreciate it. Get the mud out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, I don't know how you put up with them out there now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. Anyway, so what I want to talk to you guys about, we'll, we'll get into this, the story here shortly, but just recently you two were on a hunt where, Kurt, you killed your first Merriam Gobbler, and it was an absolute tank. But um, to, to get before we get into the story, I kind of want to hear you know both you guys being from Pennsylvania, moving out west. Um, you know, hunting Easterns, you know, majority of your life. Chris, you might have hunted some other birds, but what what was it like kind of getting into hunting a different species of turkey and i'm going to start with you chris as far as what what was that like like trying to figure that out what what did that look like well so I grew, growing up i kind of hunted two different styles of turkey hunting i grew up down in southwestern pennsylvania which is kind of just like lower elevation, rolling farmlands, uh, crop field type stuff. And, and, and really they're like highly visible, um, out in the, out in the farm fields and, um, fairly easy to visually locate. Um, but then we also with Johnny would go up into like the Appalachia, the national forests. And, um, that's where I would draw a little bit more similarities to what we're dealing with here in the big woods um so kind of two styles of hunting one was uh probably a little bit more easier um down in the farm country versus up in the uh, the forest land in appalachia um but uh but out, out here yeah it's, it's a lot like the big mountain hunting um i would say very similar to you know anybody that has experienced um archery elk hunting where you know, you're dealing heavily with like vocalizations in the mountains, um, high elevation, um, pretty strenuous type hunting. Um, you know, where Kurt and I are hunting is anywhere between 6,000 and 8,000 foot in elevation. Um, so there's definitely a physicality element to it. Uh, but I don't know, what was your question? Like, how, how do we how do we find them out here? Is yeah. That what you're at? Um, yeah, but no, that that was good. Um, it's kind of the differences, but like, how did you go about like, say finding an area? Like, I, I feel like I wouldn't know where to start um, looking like for different terrain or vegetation or what, what you're looking for with these type of birds. Yeah. Um, so I think it starts with just like the state's biology information. So it'll tell you, it'll give you some uh, colored 
maps on, on where the Merriams are at in the Colorado front range. So you got them in the front range. And for the listeners that don't know what that is, that's kind of like the, the mountains just adjacent to Denver um, on the eastern side of the, the Rockies. Um, and they also have them on the western slope. So that's, that's identified and a good starting point on where those types of birds are. And, um, you know, this time of year, there's a ton of snow. Um, so, like, the north-facing slopes are just, you know, covered in snow. And Kurt and I are gathering that, you know, they, they – and this is pretty anecdotal. Like, we're not – super versed in this but what we're gathering is they tend to not be in uh, heavy snow covered areas so any of those eastern or south facing exposures seem to be where it's dried out where they can access the food and um the best spots that we have found so any of those warmer hillsides seem to be the best and that's kind of your well we're hunting big ponderosa pine forests and it seems that they move up hill as the season as the snow retracts from the oaks to the pines and right where we're at is it that you know right in the seven thousand foot ponderosa pine forest is here and uh the front range okay and how did you go about like like figuring out like they were at that elevation range was that just through scouting or through like the information online um like on the you know the the colorado's website or how did you go about learning about that well, I'll be honest, uh, the, the, uh, the birds that, you know, Kurt and I found, we, we actually found them in the wintertime traveling this road to our fishing spot. Um, we, we spot them visually from the road. Um, some of the other spots were just kind of boots on ground, finding some uh, tracks in the snow, uh, <laughs> separate from where Kurt and I killed ours. Um, but the funny thing about that is that road so well-traveled for this very popular fishing spot that we go to that we found about... 15 other guys at the same exact spot. So that's another, that's, that's another element to Colorado front range hunting. And just about every one of them, uh, said they found that spot because they were going to the same fishing spot. We were going to and passed a flock of Turkey and decided to hunt there. <laughs> that's <Right>. funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kurt, what was that like with, with you as far as with, I know it sounds like the same story as far as you saw these birds, but I know you had been doing a lot of research on Merriam's um, and hunting them. What what did you kind of found in that research and did you find any of that true? Um, honestly, it was, it, it kind of came back to the same thing what he said, uh, but I would add that, you know, obviously I'm no expert. I am, this is my first year hunting them, but we did end up finding them multiple times, but uh, it was just spending time in the woods and finding that sign, like doing the scouting ahead of time. I mean, that's, uh, it's super important where I was, before we saw that flock, I had not seen one turkey in Colorado. Like it was a, I thought it was going to be a really rough season. A lot of just walking in the woods and not hearing anything. Cause that's like the hardest, it seems to be the hardest part about hunting them out here is finding them. And, uh, honestly, up until we saw that flock, my goal my where I was planning on hunting was based on where I had seen one that was a roadkill. I was going to go right in there and just kind of scout around. But mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it's about in the weird thing about it is it's not, you're not going to find as many scratchings and stuff like that as you do out East um, because there's not that leaf bed. It's all pine needles. So I think the most sign that me and Chris gathered while we were out here is finding those trees that look like roosting trees going under them and finding just, massive amounts of turkey shit and some feathers and stuff like that and then kind of basing it off that okay and so are they like i mean they're, they're what do those roost trees look like are they in those ponderosa pines or like what is there anything that you can kind of gather from that that you can say is a typical type roosting tree it seemed to me and chris can uh say his opinion on this after that but it seemed to me that they looked about the they're about the same height as all the other ones around it, but they, um, they had less branches in the first half of the tree and they were kind of a little more barren up where they're probably sitting at. Also, it was very interesting is the ones that we found were not like on ridges as you'd expect. Um, they were in valleys, like almost like they just peeked off the top of the mountains in the evening and just landed in their trees, like almost eye level with where they were at prior to that. Hmm. That's interesting. Chris, did you, is that you kind of your experience or do you have anything to add to that? I, I mean, 
kind of going back to finding them, you know, like back out east, like you could you could pick up turkey tracks in the mud, you know, walk in the tractor trail and see them in the little puddle areas, the soft spots. You're hard pressed to find a turkey track anywhere out here unless it's in the snow. It just dries a bone. And um, but no, on the roost trees, yeah, like they, it seemed like they almost pitched. It almost seemed like they pitched down into the roost. You know how back home in, in Appalachia they'll be up on the ridge lines typically. Um, this tree was actually the one that we killed the birds off was down in the valley, and they, they almost like pitched down to the branch. It was odd. Huh. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and that would be tough. Like with like Kurt, what you said about the scratching thing. Like you're used to, you know, whether it's the oak leaves or whatever type of leaves that are in the you know, the hardwood forest, it's it's very easy to see where turkeys have been. Where when you're in those places with pine needles and stuff, that's a lot lot different. You almost uh, walk right past the scratching. So when you do find them, they're not as heavily of a covered area. It doesn't seem like like you know, in out east, it's you find a scratching area, and it's like a 50 by 50 area that's just tore up out here. It's like you find a 10 by 10 little pot of pine needles and it makes you wonder if it's even Turkey you're looking at. Yeah. So I guess with that information that you guys have gathered, I know you said that like, you know, you hadn't seen many turkeys in Colorado and everything, but could you, do you think you could look at Onyx and kind of like pick some areas that might look like they would have turkeys or like you would check out, say you were coming from out of state or, you know, didn't, didn't have the opportunity to drive that fish and hole and see them. What would, from the information you gathered now, what would you do? Um, honestly, I think like Chris said, first go to that Colorado species and follow that map and you can apply that layer to your own X, see where they're at and then kind of look for those open areas. Um, like it's in the forested areas, look for the stuff that's kind of spotted and has a lot of, I mean, think about the heavily hunted areas and out East um, they love going to those spots that get sun in the morning, you know. So try to find those sparsely um, wooded areas. Where we were at was like an old burn. So there was almost no underbrush. You could see for probably 150, 200 yards in some spots. Like you can see them coming from a ways if they're coming through that stuff. But um, I had went scouting two weeks prior to the season and they were just all over that area. And like he said, it's great where the, they were, they flew down right to where the sun hit the only spot where the sun was hitting that morning on that side of the hill. They just stuck to those little, those sunny areas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And when they, uh, uh, so they flew down to the, those type of areas and, and so would, would you think that anything to do with the burns had anything to do with it? Would you look for areas with burns or do you think that was just kind of, or can't you, don't you find any correlation to that? I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure I find any correlation other than it's kind of more open and more sunlight gets in there, but most of Colorado is kind of the same way. I don't know. What do you think about that, Chris? I, I think it's happenstance that we, you know, we're hunting next to a very large burn, um, which Kurt, Kurt and I, I mean, just a giant burn and, and, and that is barren land, but I, Kurt and I have found that they're not in that, in that land. Hmm. Um, the old burn where we did kill the bird is, is pretty still, it, it's forested. Um, so they still, you know, they, they like that color cover, but I, I would say, um, that, that Southern Eastern exposure is key versus, you know, the North faces, you know, getting off that snow is a big deal this time of year. And I'd say that applies mainly to the earlier part of the season because that's all we've really hunted so far with it. I'm not sure what they'll – I imagine they'll kind of stick with that, though, because I don't think this is going to be our last snow either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. These, um, so the the season opened – what was the day that it opened there? April 11th. Okay, and it runs till when? May 30th. Okay, wow, it's a pretty long season. Or May 30th. Yeah, it's either May 30th or 31st. I can't remember. So a pretty long season that they yeah. can kind of move around to. But um, what would uh, – do you know off the top of your head, I know you guys are both listed as – are you both residents now Like as far as like license costs? I, I am. Okay. And, and I fall under – I'm technically a non-resident, but I fall under there. If you're in the state for more than six months going to school, you get a resident um, license. So I – 
I do have a, I do hold a resident license, although I'm a non-resident. Okay. What do you know how much the Turkey tag costs for non-residents? Right around $130. I believe it was because okay. I looked into it last year when I first got out here. Okay. So for $130, you can get that. And then if you wanted to, you know, hunt elk, then later you just add the, the elk tag cost. Cause you already have the license bought, you know, within, yep. within that, which is, which is pretty yep, cool to be able to do that. That's one of the qualifying licenses for applying for the elk draw is you can either buy a spring turkey tag or a small game license. Okay. Interesting. Would, um, did you see any, is the areas that you're hunting Turkey, do you think that'd be any place that you'd hunt elk? There's some tracks. I don't know if they're not heavily, uh, heavily populated there, Yeah, but we're definitely coming across tracks and shit all over the place. I will say there's definitely going to be a place that I'd like to revisit for mule deer. Really? Yeah. That's, that's a great time to scout. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that unit's covered in deer, but. I wouldn't say maybe 20 minutes from where we killed that bird was, what do we see? A hundred, hundred elk there last week. Yeah, that's true. I guess, I guess I know it's only 20 minutes, but in my mind, it seems like a completely different area, but it really isn't. It is. It is. Yeah. It's, it, it's a different type of land for sure. Um, mm-hmm. but no, yeah, there's, 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 there's definitely elk in the areas that we hunt. Yeah, I mean that's not like you know I I talked about on this on uh, the next episode that I'm going to be re- releasing here. I talked to a guy Tony Peterson who uses his turkey hunting trips to scout whitetails, you know, in different places. And technically, I mean, you could probably, you know, if you wanted to scout areas for deer, or elk, or something, you could maybe be able to combo with it with a, a turkey hunting trip in somewhere like Colorado. I mean, I guess I don't see why not. Absolutely. It depends what type of season you're going for, though. If you're going to do that early archery season, I mean, and you want to hunt them in the high country, you're not going to find turkey up there this time of year, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. I've yet to see a gobbler up above 12,000. <laughs> Although I did, yeah, I did see a porcupine go over a peak at about 13,000, but uh, <laughs> no turkey yet. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, that's probably a bald eagle if you see that. <laughs> Uh, but if you're doing the lower no, lands, no, oh, sorry, Chris. Oh, you're exactly right. Though. It's uh, Kurt. If you remember last time we were out scouting, we we dropped into this big north face and we found some gigantic mule deer rubs. So absolutely, Bo. I think you know the the whole the whole script flips whenever it gets hot out, right in September, and you're you're hunting deer and they want to be cooler. Um, that north face was just uh, being used. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I'd recommend that if somebody was thinking about that. Hmm. I would I would almost say it applies more to the mule deer than it would elk, but that's just the area we're in. Yeah. It could be completely different elsewhere. Yeah, no, that's – and, yeah, and again, it depends on what type of season you're hunting elk in. You know, an archery season or something might be different than – um, hunting a rifle season when they might be back in that country. I, I don't know. I'm just assuming here, but, uh, you know, none of us are, are experts in the field here, but just from observation standpoint, you know? Yeah. But that's, yeah. So what, um, let's go to the point where the behaviors of the Merriams versus Easterns, like, what do you notice that's different and Kurt, you're, I'm looking at the video here and you're laughing already. So I want, I want to hear your standpoint here first. And then let's like, Chris chime in as you, you see fit. Um, I'm, I'll first say my experience from scouting before I go into the actual season. But I mean, the first time I went scouting, I literally based it off of where we saw a flock and I took, uh, me and my wife went out and we were getting out of the vehicle and we just heard nothing but like Turkey just screaming and yelping and gobbling and everything so we ran up uh up to where we heard him and i mean i i hit the call a couple times and next thing you know we had eight gobblers in single file in full strut at 10 yards just gobbling their heads off and like we were not i'll say this the movements that we were making an eastern bird at 300 yards would have been hightailing it the other way (laughs) these things were at 10 yards and they were just like where's the, where's the turkey at? Where <laughs> they, so they seemed like, I honestly, after that, cause that was my first time scouting. I thought I was like, wow, 
I, I think I told you this. I told Chris this. I was like, we're either going to fill our tags in five minutes or it's going to take a month and a half. <laughs> and, and, uh, the, yeah, it's definitely didn't end up being that way. Once we started hunting, they, they kind of acted just like an Eastern bird did where he had his hens. Mm-hmm. And, and you said the pressure, you know, we'll get into the story of your hunt a little bit, but the pressure probably, um, affected them from being as dumb as they were too. Yeah, actually, um, to be honest, I don't know how much pressure affected the hunt that me and, uh, where I got my bird. I don't think that bird had, had been pressured at all at that point. Cause I, I think we were the first people it encountered that season for that Turkey season anyways, that was actually hunting it. Okay. Chris, what do you think? No, I just kind of echoing what Kurt said on the, on the Merriam's giving you a little bit of grace. Um, we were up on the rock talking about this last weekend and um, kind of a different story. I was down in the song great or the, the De Cristos down South in Trinidad area on Turkey last year. And um, I was standing there with like, you know, your, your, your solid color pants on and like no camouflage scouting the day before. And we had, the two gobblers struck by us scouting at 10 yards and it doesn't happen in Eastern. No. Um, you know, you, you get, you get in the same hundred yards as a Eastern and they're gone, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, like Kurt scouting experience was a little, I think out of the normal, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think I did read somewhere in terms of like the different subspecies and where their strength is with gobbling and the Merriam's definitely the weakest. Um, and every experience that I had with actually hunting these turkeys is they gobble on the roost, they hit the ground and shut up. And it's almost like you go into like this weird spot and stock turkey hunting. Um, it's, I, and, and I've, heard all my buddies talk about it too they they're not very vocal when they hit the ground like uh like you can get them fired up like a rio or uh or an eastern would Mm -hmm. interesting that i wondered how i'd always heard that the easterns were the toughest birds to hunt but kind of wanted to hear you know what what you guys' thoughts with the with the miriams were on that on that side of things yeah i don't I, i would say you're just not going to um, have as spooky as a bird. Um, you, can, you can get away with a lot with the Merriam for some reason. I definitely don't think it's like a, a give me hunt. I think it's more of, it's one of those things like he said, it's they're a little more forgiving once you get closer to them. And I think that's because they have a little bit less exposure to people and where they live. Um, unlike out out east where people are off trails a lot most of the time in colorado people don't leave trails too often it doesn't seem and uh yeah the hard part on miriams i think is finding them i really do and yeah like chris said they seem to shut up as soon as they hit the ground mm-hmm. interesting so let's uh let's let's jump into the story here a little bit about uh your guys's hunt here what was it last weekend um yeah let's let's hear a little bit about this this story and and what Let's just hear the, the whole the whole picture of the story here. What happened? Well, I'll uh, I'll start it off, Chris, and I'll let you chime in where I think where I think you'll uh, have some pretty good input on it. Uh, we uh, I got there really early the day before season to get the camping spot lined up because I knew it was a pretty popular spot, and uh, I'm glad I did because a lot of people pulled in to try to get that spot that saw me there. But anyways, we went out call, like scouting that night before and uh weren't turning up anything and just by kind of pure luck we pulled off at a pull off actually to where i'd found all those birds two weeks prior and uh i think we were i don't know if we were sitting there drinking beer or not but uh we heard a faint gobble and where we were positioned and where everything was at um and how the wind was blowing we knew we were the only people that heard that gobble and we kind of headed up into the woods in that direction and uh, kind of pinpointed where he was going to be a little bit, but we didn't, we didn't go and roost him. Like we didn't, we didn't want to spook him or overpressure him. And we realized at that point, probably about an hour before dark that we were like, 
it's probably better. Like we know he's not going to go far from here. It's probably better to get back to the vehicle and just kind of hang out at that pull off so that nobody will come in and just locate call and then hear him at the same time, kind of playing a little bit of, I don't even know how some, some mind games on the other hunters. You know what I mean? Like I don't, last thing we wanted was us to be up in the woods and to hear a crow call come from the road. And then that thing just fire off. Cause then you got another group of hunters. that's going to be heading for that exact spot in the morning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, I think that worked out for us. And <laughs> I think the next morning we decided to get up super early and I think it, we were a little surprised that we were not the only people that got up that early. <laughs> Chris, what are your, uh, what are your thoughts on showing up to that pull off? Yeah. I mean, Kurt, Kurt's being, uh, he's being, uh, nice. I think we, we, there's no doubt that we were parking in the spirit of defense. Um, so we wanted to get that truck there and, and, and get it in front of that bird. So other people went and roll up on us, but it was so funny. I remember sitting in the truck and it was, it was, uh, four, four fifty. Covered drinking coffee. And he said, Hey, five o'clock, we'll start moving up there. And that 10 minutes, uh, we were sitting there laughing so hard. Five trucks pulled up around us and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, so, so, so we'll take a, we'll take a, like a slight deviation from the story. Um, you know, Etiquette isn't the same out here. Uh, so, it, so somebody's parked at the at the forest gate, you know, like up in the forest back home. You, you kind of like give that guy some grace, and you know, you move on, right? For the most part, dude. Five people rolled into the same gate, blocking the gate. You couldn't, you couldn't even get through the gate. Uh, but. but but they're all going on the uh, on the eastern side of the road, which is where the majority of the birds were that that day. And Kurt and I peeled up to the west on this single gobble that we found the night prior. And um, I'll let you continue your story, Kurt, as we head up into the woods. Yeah, I, I want to back up a second um, just to say that, like, the other kind of our thought process into going into that is we could have walked to this bird from where we were camping. No problem. Absolutely no problem. But we had two, we had one other group of hunters camping near us and they had two trucks and we had my vehicle at our campsite. So we deemed it, we wanted to show that there was more people on that side of the road to kind of play a little bit of game. Cause I mean, yeah, it sounds like we're playing mind games on other hunters and just trying to fool them. But at the same time, it's also about safety. Like me and him were both uncomfortable a little bit the first half hour of light thinking somebody's going to roll up behind us like you. So that was kind of our thing about it too. And one thing that we did differently is instead of pulling off in that pull off, we parked across from it to kind of mark our territory as far as, Hey, we're going on this side of the road. Mm -hmm. Um, so that way nobody would think that, Oh, all these guys are over here. I'm going to go across the road and try that. And, uh, I think I really think that helped us out a lot. Um, but yeah, anyways, we got up and after seeing all the people, I think we were, we got in about an hour and a half before light, um, like started into the woods and we only had a few hundred yards to go. And, uh, we, we took it real slow and we just couldn't stop laughing. Cause you'd hear cars slow down as if they're going to pull that full off, <laughs> see the half dozen cars there and then speed back up and go to the next one. And, uh, sure enough though, like we didn't know exactly where he was going to roost and it's such a hilly kind of area and steep kind of area that we positioned ourselves where we knew we could hear them. And our plan was that the first gobble we heard, we would go make a move and make a setup a little closer than that. Um, just like clockwork, he gobbled in the morning after, I can't remember, Chris, did we call to make him gobble or he was, he gobbled on his own? No, I think, I think the, the idea was to get up in the zone and when we heard a gobble, we'd make a move to get, get a little tighter to him so i think he gobbled him on his own and then we slid in and fired him up yeah that's right because we kind of we talked about it and we didn't want to make we wanted to be as quiet as possible with it because we didn't want him to get all fired up and then people that were at their vehicles at that time getting in later to hear that and then make a move on him so we kind of kept quiet going in and waited for him to make his make his noise though but once we got set up um we thought we were closer than we actually were. Uh, 
this is where scouting plays a huge thing. And I did scout that area, but completely forgot about the train layout of it. And uh, we thought it was flat on top of the area we were, but here it was just a big valley. <laughs> like I got <laughs> it the complete opposite of what we thought it was. But uh, anyways, we would. I was just leaving off like real little clucks to kind of let them know, hey, there's a bird over here because we didn't know if he had hens or not. And uh, he was answering to my call when I would do it. And I wasn't like overdoing it at all. Um, but we heard two other callers in the general area coming over uh, to the south of us a few hundred yards away. So we knew we weren't going to be alone. And we actually, at one point in our setup, I had an orange vest in my bag and we actually hung it on the tree behind us just to make sure like if anybody came around, they would kind of give us some space. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I think that whole first half hour, 45 minutes, we were just kind of waiting to see that head pop up over that little ridge and, uh, it will never happen. <laughs> so, uh, we kind of, the, the, I think you can explain a setup for turkey hunting in one statement is that and that is should i stay or should i go <laughs> and that's like exactly what popped into our heads we sat there and we're like should we move no let's stay every time we move then we stand up it's going to be right over the edge and go run in the other direction well we talked ourselves out of moving for about a half an hour but after hearing those other callers start to kind of move in on that turkey's flank if you would we kind of started uh we're like you know what let's let's head in that direction but let's keep quiet and let's not um, not do too much. Like we weren't we weren't going to do any calling from there on out. <laughs> and uh, at that point, we kind of actually headed in a direction that was away, f- kind of f- away from those other guys calling because we didn't want to we don't want to get in the way of their hunt as much as we don't want them getting in the way of ours. And uh, yeah, we didn't hear anything. We kind of still hunted, um, just moving quiet didn't make a sound on the call because those guys were calling enough that we thought if this guy's going to be vocal, he'll answer to those calls. Then we can make a move based on where we hear that. And I, th- I really think that played into getting the situation that we got into. I mean, Chris, what do you have to say up to this point on it? Well, yeah, we had to make a decision and, and, and to paint a picture, like we were, uh, we're at the tip of the triangle and we had uh, two sets of hunters at our, uh, like four o'clock and eight o'clock sliding in behind us. So we were like, let's, let's, let's move. Cause we were, we're the tip of the triangle moving towards 12 towards the bird. And if we would have sat, if we would have sat around, we probably would have got passed up. So we, we moved forward and, um, started just sliding, uh, up, up over this hill and then down and then back up this other hill, uh, real slow, just kind of still hunting. And, uh, I'll let you take back over, Kurt. Well, we we were coming up this ridge kind of, uh, and as we're going up it, there's this big like house-sized boulder. And I don't like, I remember thinking it pretty clear, like, because me and and him both have tags, so it's like fair game for either of us. And I was like, I'll go around the right side of the boulder. He goes around the left. And then we thought about it. I thought about it a little more, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense because, like, we're not just going to run up to these turkeys and, like, we don't even know where they're at or anything. So I was like, I'll just stick with him for a safety consideration. You know, we go around this boulder and we're standing like kind of at the top of this little ridge. I don't know how long we were staying in there, maybe three, four minutes, but, uh, there's a shooting. Yeah. I don't know if I might be giving away a little too much here, but there's a pull off that has a lot of activity. A lot of the time <laughs> near us. <laughs> and, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we heard what we thought, it was like it was a mix of almost it almost sounded like a four wheeler trying to start starting to turn over, you know, or like a car door slamming or something. And me and him talked about it, like whispering back and forth, like, "Dude, what is that? Somebody's having trouble down there." And then, like after probably about five times of hearing it, it kind of hit me, and I was like, "Dude, do you think that's a you think that's a turkey?" And he's like, "I don't know." I was like, "I'm just gonna peek over this edge right here." So I kind of like get back into sneak mode, you know. And I kind of slowly look over this edge and over this edge is a pretty steep drop, like steep grade, I guess. And it's the equivalent of a clear cut in Pennsylvania. Like we're in this beautiful open area on the top, big timber, open areas. That's where you expect to see turkey, not in this dark stuff below us. And I kind of look over this edge and all I see is two hens and a full fan facing the other direction. And like, 
where I was positioned, all they could kind of see is from my chin up, basically, when I popped over that edge. So I kind of slowly went, moved back down and was kind of a mixture of whispering, panic whispering and yelling at Chris, who was about 15 yards behind me, like trying to signal to him that, hey, we have birds close. And when I say close, I mean, they were 10 yards away when I popped up and saw them. So I kind of saw the direction they were headed. The hens saw me, but they didn't seem like super alert. Like they stopped, looked at me, but they kind of kept doing their, the one was feeding, the other one was walking. And I kind of slid up on this rock next to me and I was crawling up on it. And I got to the point where I knew that as soon as I popped up, I was going to see those birds. So I had the shotgun on the shoulder and I popped up and I was on my knees. And when I popped up over that rock, I had that gobbler at five yards and I just kind of let him have it. <laughs> and, uh, Half of his neck was covered up by a little sapling, and I just went aimed for the other half, and he went down, and I started running after him. Chris started running after me, and he just started tumbling down that steep grade, like throwing him, hurling himself down this thing as I was chasing him down the mountain, trying to get my boot on his neck. And uh, we finally got to a point, and I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember this part pretty clearly, too, is he gets wedged between the thing and like, you know how turkeys, when they're wounded, they get down, they stick their head up a little bit. I pull a shotgun up and Chris is like, Hey man, we got him. Don't, <laughs> don't shoot again. We got him. <laughs> I go running up to it and we finally get our, get a boot on his neck. And then it just kind of like, it started basically just all kinds of excitement, man. It was just unreal. Cause it happened so fast. And it was like, it was one of those things where, I don't know how long Chris has been hunting turkey, but I know it's been Chris, would you say you've been hunting for 20 years turkey? Yeah, for sure. Yep. So combined experience, me and him hunting turkey, we probably have about 35 years of turkey experience. And, uh, we were still unsure of that sound, which was that sound that sounded like a car door closing was him strutting. And, uh, if you don't spend a lot of time in the turkey woods, you would walk right past that, you know, and that's like, you have to be super quiet to hear that. And actually that two weeks prior when we were scouting, I had mentioned to Abby as those turkeys were strutting in front of us at 10 yards, we were hearing that noise. And I was like, take note of that noise because that's like, that is a sign that they are close. And you don't hear that if they're 30 yards away, you know, you hear that when they are inside 20 yards. And, uh, yeah, that's, it totally came back to experience at that point. If, I mean, we almost passed it up and we've had that many seasons under our belts and yeah, it was, I don't know, to spend time in the turkey woods, get close to them, even that early season prior to season to hear those sounds that they make and all that. Yeah. But Chris, what, what was your uh, viewpoint from that whole situation as it went down? Oh man, just, just, uh, a, a huge lesson learn um you know that turkey was broke over the ridge and we were getting wind uh in our faces the you know so like it was it was a very um it's not a turkey vocalization not something that comes from its mouth it's drumming it's it's a like a really odd verberation sound and it, it sounded like it was coming down from where all that commotion was from the other hunters and whatnot and you heard all kinds of stuff like we didn't we didn't normally we didn't recognize it and we were like there's no way that that's what that was you know but uh something to really key on key in on and if you do hear it man you're danger close to a turkey and that's i mean where where he was in the path that they were going uh they were headed to where our initial setup was but i don't think they would have ever made it there with the amount of hunters in the area and that was the other thing, like I kind of hinted at earlier, is that bird had not, I don't think he knew it was hunting season yet. He was just going on his day, his morning routine. He had not been exposed to a person yet that was hunting him, you know. And uh, that was, he popped up there and it was, if we would have showed up there a minute earlier or a minute later, like if we would have got there a minute earlier, we would have, we were just about to leave that spot and continue on. And we would have spooked him, got there a minute later as we were going around that boulder, he would have been on the other side and it would have been just like, we would have just completely missed them. He would have walked our path back to where we came from. Like, mm -hmm. so it was, I think yeah, I came down to a lot of our decision-making and it just kind of all lined up. 
Yeah. But yeah, and so when when you got up to that bird and stuff, um, I remember you you sent me a text. You know, you you sent it like four different times because you didn't have good service, I imagine. But it said killed a giant Miriam, so like just like killed a giant gobbler. And so give a little bit of uh, an idea what this bird looked like. Well, I mean, honestly, I didn't um, I didn't really know how big it was. I I don't think me or Chris really did. It was it was like a good eastern bird, you know. It was it wasn't like a monster. It wasn't like holy crap, like look at the size of this, but it was like, wow, that's a really nice bird. And uh I think we kind of wrote on that for the next part of it, you know, like it was just kind of a I've killed five or six birds like it that were easterns, you know. And uh it didn't actually we didn't realize how big it was until I think you actually messaged me saying you had some people telling you about it, but I was just pumped to get a Miriam's, you know, like a full fan, especially because from the start of me being obsessed with turkey hunting, it's Miriam's has always been that kind of bucket list one because I, I fully believe those are the best looking turkey there are. Yeah. And so give, get, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So these, so the Miriam bird, the mountain bird doesn't have a lot in the uh, spur in beard department compared to the Easterns, like the big old rope draggers, like the 12s, you know, giant spurs. Um, you don't get that as much out here, but I just remember seeing those every time you kill one of them things, it's just amazing. They, they are so beautiful with their tail feathers and like all white, like two sets of white trim. Um, that's what always eats me up whenever I see one of those things. They're just so gorgeous. But uh, when, yeah, I think that was the deal, the deal with Kurt and I like kind of downplaying that one. Like, yeah, it, I mean, it was, it was a good bird. We were like nine inch beard. Um, I, I forget the specs, but it was, um, it was a respectable bird, but it wasn't like in our mind, like the Eastern giant, you know? And I don't think our reaction would have changed at all. Like had that been a Jake, I think yeah. we would have been just as pumped about it, you know, like, we were just like the whole yeah. way the whole situation uh, played out, you know. That was the yeah. other thing is I got it at seven fifteen in the morning, and that whole turkey hunt—that's the first one I've ever been on where there wasn't that low point where you kind of go up like you're super excited, then you think they went got away. You get super excited because you hear a gobbling, but we were like on that excitement level the whole time because like you knew there was a bird somewhere, you know, and it was just you had to find them. But we thought we would hear them and then call them in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's crazy. And what what were the exact measurements of that bird then like as far as beard length and spurs? Uh beard ended up being 9 inches, 9 and 7/16 inches. And the uh spur so one was one spur was broken um just like kind of chipped off, but the broken one still measured 7/8 and the unbroken one was 1 and an eighth. So it was a uh, yeah, like you, you think those measurements for an eastern bird, you're like, oh, it's nice bird, you know. But turns out it's actually a pretty nice Miriam. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much a giant Miriam's, and that's like what I, what I said. I sent you a message. I was like, I posted your photo there, and I was getting messages from guys like, dude, that's the biggest Miriam's I've ever heard of. You know, a buddy of mine, Jake, he's really big turkey hunter and killed a ton of birds and he's like dude the miriams i mounted had half inch spurs he's like that thing is a giant he's like that's an absolute tank and you know and it's i think it's cool like you know you guys and i know you kurt you know it, it wouldn't have mattered to you if it, it had little bumps for spurs you know for that that scenario you guys are out there to have fun and kill miriams and that is probably the most beautiful bird out there i mean that the photos that Chris took of you with that thing is just like beautiful. Oh yeah. And it's, yeah, I will, I will admit this and I probably shouldn't, but Chris and I did break social distancing procedures once the bird was down on the ground. And I, I believe we did a little fist pump and maybe like a half hug. Did you guys, the excitement. Did you guys make out? There was no, there was no lip to lip contact. Okay. <laughs> making sure. <laughs> I tried. I tried. <laughs> I think he saw me and he saw my lips were a little dried out and I was out of breath and 
just it wasn't like a real pretty picture you know yeah i wasn't super attracted to it i get it yeah completely understandable so how did all right so you got the bird down and you went back to camp did uh did you guys continue to hunt anymore that day or what what happened from there (laughs) well chris still had a tag and we and i told him i was like dude like we can i'm more than happy let's get this bird back to camp let's go go after him and like keep hitting after and he's like honestly dude he's like i'm pretty satisfied for today let's just go back to camp (laughs) so we're uh we're back at camp by 8 8 30 in the morning and uh drinking brews getting uh eating a little venison for breakfast from his whitetail and uh yeah we basically that's how we spent the rest of the day (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's funny did you cook up any of the turkey not at the camp no we uh because my wife abby was coming out and uh his wife kate was coming out later that evening like later that afternoon so we kind of kept it there hanging um in the shade and everything because they have I don't think either of them have ever been like got to actually put their hands on like you know how it's a completely different thing putting your hands on a turkey like that and seeing those colors shift as the sun's hitting it and moving it around like just kind of wanted them to get a good look at the like beauty of it you know Mm -hmm. cool yeah that sounds like a sounds like a pretty fun camp experience and you shared some of the photos of that and um there was a picture taken i'm gonna i'm gonna estimate about 807 a.m and chris has a a cold cold beer in his hand over there cooking some breakfast is what it looked like <laughs> you'd be That's correct right, it's a long it's a long season you gotta uh you gotta we didn't want to make a perfect thing not perfect and go wear yourself out you know there's a lot of hunters out there so it was beer 30 and you know time to start drinking beer and uh <laughs> we enjoyed a nice nice rest of the day i think it's a. Uh, I think also a kind of important part of the story that I forgot to mention is we were about 50 yards from the truck with the turkey on my back and I realized I didn't have my wedding ring on anymore. And, uh, I, it's, it's like in the amount of excitement that happened as we're field dressing the bird, I looked at Chris and like, you know, with adrenaline pumping and everything, good ideas sometimes aren't good ideas. And I took off my wedding ring and I looked at, looked at Chris and I was like, Hey, I'm going to set it right here. Don't let me forget it. And I just like set it amongst all these pine needles <laughs> and like, you know, good idea. Get done, get gutted, everything, whatever, get back down to the vehicle. And I'm like, Chris, I don't have my wedding ring. And he's like, well, I'll, I'll wait here and like, you can go, you can go grab it. Luckily I ran up there and found it. But, uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a <laughs> kind of attic panic. But what if I ever learned one thing from that is don't take it off the gut. Just just go with it and live with that little bit of grit you're going to have under it for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I'm sure uh, sure Abby loved hearing that. <laughs> All she said was, you'd have had to buy your next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. I thought it was a I thought it was a key to getting out of the marriage, but apparently that's not how it works. That's not that's not not that easy, huh? <laughs> yeah, you're not single when you forget your wedding ring places. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well awesome. Chris, have you uh you gonna be going out here some more? Oh yeah, man. Uh we are uh, I just actually found a good bird, man. It was uh giant strutter, same area. Yeah, out on the private land, making a plan to move in on them on the backside on the public. Um, I'm lucky to live up here, so I live up in this turkey zone. So um, hunting pretty easy uh, mornings and afternoons. So it's a long season. I'm looking forward to it, man. Awesome. That's that's cool. Well, I, I wish you yeah. some luck here. I wish uh, wish I could get out there and do some hunting, but you know what? We can't we can't be traveling these days. So we're gonna. <laughs> I'm going to stay here. I'm going to pick up yeah. a second tag for Pennsylvania and I'm going to pretend. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of waiting. I'm hoping that Kansas lifts their uh non-resident restriction right now for hunting because if they open their season back up, I think I'm going to pull try to purchase a uh, Rio tag for out there and head out east to Kansas and hopefully get a bird there. There you go. Nice. Well, guys, uh I think that's about it for this one. 
let's um where can people find some uh information let's start with you chris where can they find some of your some of your good stuff that you post up there on the old instagram uh i do have instagram it's chris Toomey official is where you you can find me at on the ig um that's because chris Toomey was taken but i'm the real one <laughs> me up. well yeah i looked you up on skype we tried doing this on skype and and i couldn't find you because there was like nine chris toomies and i called three of them and none of them yeah. picked up so <laughs> i don't think it was you <laughs> yeah. yeah cool and and just for, for you guys' reference here if you've heard uh the infamous johnny stewart on here that's that's who introduced me to Chris. Chris and Johnny are friends, so that gives you any idea of Chris's, you know, personality and his uh background and <laughs> I don't I don't know yeah. if that's a good representation or not for you, Chris, but the old the old yeah, days too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're lifers, man. Next door neighbors since forever. Yeah. So, he and I have been Wearing out the critters our whole lives. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Kurt, where can, uh, where can people find some information on you on, on your pages there? Um, I got a Instagram account for my gunsmithing stuff. So if you guys like guns and like seeing the insides of them and all that, nothing political. It's just solely working on them and different repairs and stuff like that. But that's at Kurt the Gunsmith, and that's Kurt with a K. Um then uh, also my personal account is Kurt M two three two three, which you can follow me, but I, I probably won't follow you back unless we're close friends. <laughs> 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 kind of my uh, my friend account, you know. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> a lot of pictures, a lot of pictures of my dog show up on there. Gotcha. Yeah, your yeah your gunsmith account there. You got a lot of a lot of good stuff and a lot of guns and some of the custom builds you're making and some of the other things you're working on for customers cool cool stuff there so check that out and again guys thank you for uh coming on and chatting here it's been it's been good i'm glad that you both agreed to jump on the old cast here and talk on this uh sunday evening no problem thanks for having us yeah yeah it's good talking to you guys and uh we'll talk soon Sounds good. All right. Take care, guys. Later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.